Hi, I'm Pinky. And I'm Lucy. And you're listening to Thank Folk for Feminism. You sure are. Thank you for joining us for another great and empowered conversation showcasing women in folk music. We've got a really special one for you today. I'm really excited about it. But before we hear from this month's guests, as always, I'd like to check in with my sister from another mister, not actually related, Pinky Ward. How are you this week? Uh, I'm good. I have been uh, busy watching and catching up on a lot of the Olympics that have been going on, really enjoying watching just so many different sports um, and really heartened to see the reaction to Simone Biles and her pulling out of um, the gymnastics for the US team to prioritise her mental health. I thought it was a really brave and bold thing to do and I'm really heartened that she feels able to do that. She is a true inspiration. Very much so, very much so. A powerhouse in every sense of the word, right? Because the immense pressure um, that she must be under, you know, all of the you know even in our own country it's like the greatest gymnast that's ever lived can she get gold again when it wasn't going well for her you know everybody's like what's wrong what's wrong with Simone Biles and you know these these top athletes they're not allowed to have an off day um so the fact that she's highlighted the fact that she's human um for people to you know know that it's okay it's very much okay to be that too I just think has been one of the beautiful success stories of the Olympics. So we hope that you guys are all enjoying watching the all the myriad of different sports. I basically love latching on to something that I know nothing at all about, like volleyball or skateboarding. I was watching the surfing today. Um, so like, you know, when, when the country gets obsessed with a really niche sport, that's my favorite thing about the Olympics. <laughs> Yeah, I saw someone doing the rounds on Twitter um, suggesting that before every sport, a um, general person off the street should have to demonstrate just how difficult all of the sports are. So <laughs> Joe Blog stands up and has a go at curling before the professionals take part, just so that we can see the calibre and level that these individuals are competing at, which I thought was a brilliant idea. I, I actually love that. Let's do that. Let's host that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that our response to everything is how do we make that happen how do we make this funny joke a real life possibility <laughs> <laughs> oh god it's gonna be thank folk for feminist frisbee <laughs> I was gonna say ping pong even though it wasn't an f but that was what was in my head feminist <laughs> table tennis <laughs> Um, anyway, enough about the Olympics. This month we are joined by singer-songwriter and the 2019 BBC Young Folk Award winner Maddie Morris. The eagle-eyed amongst you may have spotted that Maddie came to our new online feature, The Friday Feminist Fix, a couple of weeks ago over on Instagram Live. Um, but we're so pleased to have had the opportunity to chat to her at length about her art, her inspiration and her passion for folk music. We discovered Maddie's music when she was recommended to us right here on the podcast by no less than uh, the Nancy Kerr and Grace Petrie. Uh, she writes beautiful, soulful, raw and honest lyrics that really blew me and Pinky away. 
we want to let you know that Maddie talks to us about how her lived experience being a survivor of child sexual abuse informed her writing on her debut record, Purgatory. She also chats to us about her love of folk clubs, passive aggressive camping chair folding and top tips for upcoming artists. We hope you enjoy it. Hi, Maddie. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh, you're not the only one. We're absolutely pumped that you could join us. Um, Maddie, as we've just, as people have just heard in the intro, you're a, a rising star in the folk scene right now. And for good reason, I think you, you know, uh, you're a tremendous songwriter and to me um, as somebody who's kind of a decade on from you career-wise it was just really exciting to hear somebody who was so um, so just ready to speak their truth in songs so I'm hoping that today that we'll get to hear some of your roots into songwriting and all of the things that you're um, that you're doing and that have influenced you and inspired you but I wondered if to start us off today and I hope this isn't too twee of a question um, but it's you know it seems to be one that all of us have had to go through at the early stages of our career could you maybe tell us a little bit about what it is about folk music that that spoke to you and uh, and your route into uh, getting to where you are now yeah uh, of course um so um so I had a bit of a weird route into folk music which was that I started on my degree and I didn't really know what folk music was so I studied folk and traditional at Leeds Conservatoire and I'd come into folk from the kind of like Joni Mitchell Annie DeFranco side of things um and I came to folk music because I well, I started off by finding Annie DeFranco by looking for queer musicians when I was like 11 or 12 and her name came up and I was like, wow, this is so cool. Um, and then kind of followed that path that, that ended up leading me to, to study folk and then come into traditional music from that way. So kind of, I think backwards to the way a lot of people do it. Um, but yeah, I think what I love about folk is I love the way that um, there are all these stories that for years people have said have no worth so whether that's stories of women or stories of working class people um and I love that in folk music all these stories have equal importance even you know regardless if it's a story of someone walking to a mine or if it's a story of like kings and queens and 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 everything you know very very different to that I love the way that that folk music gives a voice to people and gives a voice to stories that are so often um, ignored or or not talked about, and so I think that was kind of what I one of the reasons I, I kind of fell in love with with the with the genre, I guess. That's such a great answer. I love that notion that folk collects the stories that aren't palatable to uh, other genres to save or savor. Or enjoy even and um and I think as well you know it sort of reflects often the way that um that folk as a community can collect the sort of the waifs and strays the people who feel a bit different the people who have you know uh, struggled to make connections in wider society folk is a space where they can come and perhaps perhaps that's because you know somehow on some subconscious level people feel 
reflected in the music in some way. Obviously, we've had lots of discussions on the pod about, you know, there are huge chunks of our brilliant folk community missing from that traditional song. But I guess we'll get to that to that stuff later. But yeah, I love that answer. And um, and I, I also didn't grow up with traditional music at all. So I can really resonate with that just being captured by stories just sort of you know it, it was it was inescapable the the tales and I couldn't believe that there were just these great yarns that I'd never heard before um and uh and it sounds like you know as a, as a songwriter that's something that perhaps you reflect on and feeds you I don't know yeah definitely I think one of the things that's so wonderful about folk music is I think this way and I think a lot of it comes from the kind of folk club approach which I love which is someone can literally walk off the street and 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 they have a floor the floor whatever that floor is for three to you know 10 minutes and it doesn't matter where they're from or 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 what their background is and I love that I love that that feeling that actually everyone's voice is equal it's one of the things that I think's so cool about going to folk clubs and seeing these these singers that you know you you've listened to for years and they're getting supported by a floor singer and and that thing I think that's one of the things that a lot of the music industry is definitely missing is that um everyone who has a song to sing, regardless if that song's going to be sung, you know, beautifully and polished, or if it's going to change keys, you know, 10 or 11 times unintentionally, <laughs> all of them sort of have equal, equal worth and, and, and there's importance to all of them. And I think, I guess from sort of a political level, that's something that's always really drawn me to focus that it, it is, it's kind of a mixing pot and it's, it, it, it takes everyone's stories and, and, kind of amplifies them and and that's something that I just I love and I think is really is really beautiful about it I guess it feels like Maddie that's very much where your music fits right in terms of giving voice to those stories and those narratives you know I was certainly listening to your some of your work the other day and kind of had to stop and skip back and go back to the start of the track and just like really take stock and digest like because it's so deeply personal at times it seems and so deeply rooted in experience um you know and within that I think you talk a lot about trauma and the issues that you know society at large tells us we shouldn't be having conversations about these this is the like dark scary underworld that nobody wants to consider tell us more about your decision to do that what it feels like because I guess you know there's also something isn't there about once you put that out there you can never take it back so to speak you know and what was the process of making the decision to put that out on a record I think there were two main things I think there's a an incredible activist called Cheryl Rainfield, who is an Amer- uh, not American. She's a Canadian writer um, who wrote this book called Scars, who talked about um, about CSA um, and talked about the way that silence both um, allows abuse to continue. But it's also one of the things that creates abuse is, is the fact that we don't talk about it so that people that, that survivors don't talk about it. And for me, that was something that I really I really internalized and I realized the reason that we are told to be silent is actually one of the reasons that abuse can continue. Um, and when I, I, so I'm a massive fan of Nancy Kerr um, and she has a song called Written on My Skin, which I think is an incredible, incredible piece of music. Um, and I remember listening to it um, and there's this one line, which was um, shame won't wash my words away like bloodstains on bedding. 
And I remember hearing that lyric and it it just, if this feeling of, of being heard and being believed and, 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 and having my story out there, even though it wasn't my story, it wasn't me saying it. And it, it had this massive profound effect on me. Um, and it was also kind of a, a weird moment because I was like, oh, I'm never going to be able to write lyrics like that. Like, that's the goal. Um, but I think hearing hearing that and, and that effect it had on me um, was such a, a big thing. And I, I realized that actually, if for me, if I could write lyrics like that, if I could give someone else that feeling of, of, of just really like fundamentally being heard and being believed, like that's what I wanted to be able to do. And I think it was quite a difficult thing because for a couple of years, I kind of thought that I could have one or the other, you know, I could either do the folk thing and the trad thing um, and sing songs about like, um, you know, maids and, um, and unrequited love and things like that. Or I could sing songs about my experience and about being a feminist and being a survivor. And I thought those two things couldn't coincide inside and exist together. And um, when I did Young Folk, I remember actually having a conversation with Nancy and being like, I really want to sing this song that I wrote about the Me Too movement. But I think if I do that, then that'll, that then I'll be throwing away this, this experience and, and having a conversation with her and her sort of saying, well, what do you want to do? What, what, is, is, what is your goal from being a musician? And I think doing Young Folk and having and, and winning Young Folk and, and having that kind of... Um, affirmation from the folk scene that actually I could do both was one of the most exciting and liberating things for me because actually survivors are more than what they've survived there can be more to you than just your trauma and what you've survived you can do both things and I think what's really nice and really cool about the folk scene is that actually I have that opportunity whereas I think if I I was in a different kind of music scene if I was doing the sort of singer songwriter pop thing which I did do for a while they kind of there's there's an expectation that you can only be one thing but I think folk music has this wonderful way where um audiences kind of accept you as a whole and I've definitely been to gigs where I know that there are some people sitting through the trad stuff to get to the other stuff and then vice versa there are some people sitting through my stuff to get to the trad stuff but people are, are are still willing to do it and and I don't know I think it's just a really a really awesome thing about the scene I guess yeah, and I think, you know, your comment there about, oh, I want to, you know, sing and have other people feel like there's kind of voice to their story is, you know, that's the reason I skipped the track back because I just went, wait, hang on a minute, what? Like, I've never heard this kind of reference and this experience of all the things I know to be true, but also all of the things I've heard during my work and my, you know, time in the violence against women and girls sector kind of encapsulated in music form, you know, but done in a way that is not, you know, I think the other myth that kind of permeates is survivors are weak or they're sad or, you know, or you have to, if you've, if you're a survivor, you have to have strength rather than, you're just the same as everybody else you know just because you've had an experience doesn't mean you know you might be strong sometimes and weak the other time and all of these myriad of different things and I think that's something for me that your album really you know started to pick up and encapsulate was that difference those different ways of being that that's I mean that's that's very kind of you to say and that's such that's such wonderful feedback I think it's it was a it was a really tricky um 
piece of of, of music to put out there because I, so I recorded I recorded purgatory over a week and it was the week my partner tested positive for COVID and we had to isolate and I had it was like when everything sort of all kind of I'm not going to swear everything all sort of went to you know downhill um uh in a very short period of time and I was supposed to have these like festivals I was going to and it was my last couple of weeks of my degree and it all disappeared and I think one thing that um is the case for a lot of um survivors of sexual violence including myself is that when things get bad when routines are broken it 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 can all feel very dark very you know you can feel very lost and that was definitely my experience and I I needed in that in that time to to be able to remember that actually I'm I'm still a musician and I can still do things even if I was stuck in this tiny little flat in central Leeds um which you know was was kind of a, a weird experience but I think it's been really wonderful to hear stories and 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 to hear from people that actually there's stuff that I've said that that resonates with them and and I think what's really really special for me about it is is firstly as as an individual who's going through sort of their own journey of of being a survivor and working out how that fits in my life as an adult um it's really wonderful firstly to hear actually other people have similar experiences you know other people who are survivors struggle to do things like brush their teeth or you know um you know take out the bins or or whatever that that trigger might be that's really really validating for me but also to hear that actually there is worth in 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 talking about these things because I've had it, it you get a lot of people being like you know well that that you know that that those songs you write you know they're pretty dark like and 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 sometimes that is is definitely true um but I think it's it's really wonderful to hear that that I guess people actually I guess see the the reason to do it and 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 find it validating because that's kind of why I started writing them I guess in the first place I don't know but so thank you that's really kind of you yeah I guess there's also something isn't there about you know art reflecting life and life reflecting art so to speak you know when whilst music might be dark or difficult I think there's a real power and importance you know and I think what you touched on there really reflects kind of my experience as well and I think other people's experience you know I've worked in the sector you know and worked specifically with sexual violence for a really long period of time and yet never ever spoke about my own status of being a survivor in a particularly public or open direct way and it took me ages to kind of unravel what that was about and where that silence was coming from and whose it was you know and as you say I think there is that kind of power in the more the more people stand up, you know, and that's the shift of the Me Too movement, isn't it? The more people that can just say Me Too without having to give any further information, the more power we've got to people to, you know, start to change, I guess, and shift culture. You know, this is a, a really powerful conversation to be to be party to. And, um, and Maddie, it's so interesting that you're, um, you know, that what drives you is... Uh, you know, people can often reflect, can't they, that like, you know, you write them for yourself and then the audience, you know, choose to like them or not. But I love that it's coming from a place of actually wanting to go out and hold people's hands through the dark bit and say like, hey, I've, I'm there with you or I've been there too, or, you know, whatever it is in, in that particular song. And just think that's a really um, powerful thing to do as an artist and, um 
And I think that artists listening to this um, could learn a lot from that, from that place of giving that your work is coming from. That's very, that's very kind of you to say. I think it's, it's really, it's really tricky. And I think, I think, and, and maybe this is just my experience as a writer, but I think everyone has these songs that are innately within them. So I spent a lot of time at uni trying to write like a child ballad, like trying to write the songs that the, the other people could write and, and, and write so beautifully. Um, and I think I spent a lot of time feeling quite ashamed of the music I was writing actually because I'd sit down and be like okay today I'm gonna write like a proper like boy girl ballad and it's gonna be so good and like and that was what I I, I aimed to write and then I'd, I'd come out with these songs that, that that definitely weren't that um but I think it's it's been really rewarding to to hear that that people have have received them well and I think I think I released Purgatory almost, I think, over a year ago now. And I still get messages on Instagram from random people who are are touched by my music. And one of the things that really, um, uh, I guess, didn't shake me, but it was a, a, a real indicator for me about the importance of, I think, people doing and writing music about um, sexual violence was I got a message from a young woman who... I actually went to school with and I used to sit on the bus with her um, and she sent me a message after I released Purgatory and I found out that she'd had very, very similar experiences to me. And whilst we were both, you know, teenagers traveling on on the bus to school together, we had a very, very similar experience at home. Neither of us aware that actually so close to us, there were people who were going through the same thing. I think there is this belief that particularly um, sexual violence towards children is very few and far and in between. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't happen. And I think that is an active thing because people are so uncomfortable with it. And of course people are, it's a awful, awful thing to think about. But I think there is so much importance in actually having the conversation. You know, I've been really, I guess, shocked, but also not shocked. I don't think I've had any conversation with a, a woman or, or a non-binary person um, who hasn't experienced, you know, violence to some extent. And, and, and I think that's one thing that, that really shocked me is actually, I don't think I've had conversations with, with anyone who hasn't experienced some kind of, has had some kind of experience of feeling unsafe um, due to male violence. And that is an awful thing, but I think it's only the last couple of years. I mean, in my experience that we're actually having these conversations, you know, because I I specifically remember there's a song by Annie DeFranco called Hide and Seek. And it was the only song that I'd ever heard that talked about sexual violence. And I listened to it on repeat when I was like maybe 12, 13, because it, it, it was like the first time that I'd heard someone talk about sexual violence from the first person talking about it being them. Whereas all the other times I'd heard sexual violence being talked about, it was like, this happens to some people somewhere opposed to this has happened to me. And I think that that's kind of one of the reasons that the folk scene and the folk medium, I think is such a, a helpful place for these stories to be told because it, it folk innately, I think is about telling stories and it's about 
having conversations and 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 creating music that maybe wasn't always listened to and wasn't always you know about things that people didn't always seem to care about um but yeah I don't know if I've just gone off on one there a little bit but I'm sorry if I have (laughs) no not at all I think everything you've said is massively important Maddie um so Maddie you've talked and told us a little bit about um you know massively important powerful responses from people who found you know um their own stories in your music and enjoyed it and you also had that really fun little reflection about how um you know some audience members are sitting there waiting for you to sing a traditional song and others are sitting there waiting for your original material and I'm sure there's plenty of people sat there captivated by both um but I wondered if you know um for people who haven't listened to Purgatory, you know, everything that we're saying, it's it's a massively powerful record. I feel like it's, um, I tried to listen to it while I was decorating my front room and I had to sit and stop because you just, you have to listen to it. It's not an album, um, at least in the first few listens that you can absorb while or I found that I could absorb while doing something that was completely, uh, you know, not listening it felt like you were in my room trying to tell me something really important and um and I guess my question is you know that sometimes people find it really hard to engage with music or any kind of art actually that's challenging you know we've all heard those terrible things that people say you know about folk singers generally and folk music generally that you know like oh you know all I need is a beat mate or or whatever you know there's value in all of that music too but you know or you know why why does it need to be political um I don't think I've got time to explain this one my friends maybe I'm not the artist for you (laughs) etc um so I'm wondering if you'd ever had any um sort of like or any awareness of any uh, negative feedback or different difficulties or ways that you hold the audience's hand through moments you know might be hard for them to hear that's a really good question um so firstly I'm a massive I'm a massive advocate for content warnings and I think it's sometimes I I, I know of musicians who aren't aren't fans of content warnings because they're there to shock and they, they want their music to shock. And, and in some contexts, I can see the power to that. But to me personally, I have been to gigs before and, and been like, oh my goodness, like, and, 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 and I think it's really important that we safeguard audiences. And so I'm always a big fan of instead of uh, well firstly I don't tend to be like oh and the content warnings for this song and sort of reel them off because it's just not great I feel like I like to sort of create the space at the beginning where I'm like if you want to like step out I'm not going to be offended and I'm very very used to people stepping out in my sets and it's always really important to to me to to actually for me I think that's kind of I think some people could get offended by that but for me that's actually a really not a nice thing but it's it's helpful for me and I think it says a lot about I feel grateful that I've created a space where people feel like they can go without me being like oh you know they don't want to listen to my song because you have to be in the right place um and I think that's something that I do feel really strongly about um there's also the other side of the coin which is I've had people being like real which is fine I mean I I so my first festival I did with Sidmouth and it was amazing and so exciting um and I slept in a tent for a week which I'd never done in my life and um it was 
terrifying um and I performed on the young person stage and it was my first year of my degree and I could tell everyone I was playing Sid Murth. it was so exciting and I did this set and um there was a guy in in the front row on like a, a little up chair that he bought himself and I did I did three unaccompanied songs it wasn't even a it wasn't a trauma song it was just a political song um and it was a version of which study one where I'd written my own verses and I got through the first bit of it and he like stood up and he like aggressively shut his like put up chair and like stormed off and for some reason that is actually my favorite moment of that festival I don't know why but for me that was such a validating thing because actually if if me singing about being like queer or I can't remember what it was I think I was I was singing about like poverty or something if it affected him to the extent that he had to aggressively shut his fold-out chair then that was definitely a conversation that needed to be had with him and maybe I'm not the person who who got to you know finish that conversation with him but I'd rather it be me than like I don't know I imagine like a daughter or a granddaughter who who has tried I imagine you know tried to have this I mean I've I've, I've had a lot of conversations with this guy in my head as it's, it's very clear you know but I think that response is something that you kind of just have to laugh at and I think it does happen um but I, I you know and, and another experience is that that one of like um you know I've been to folk clubs and had the but is it folk and my response is always well like I played nine grand a year to be able to say yes I think it is um and <laughs> and like that's you know but it's all part of it and I think it's one of the the weird and wonderful things about the folk scene is that everyone like I think people are so comfortable to tell you to your face. And I, I would prefer that. I'd rather have that conversation with that slightly angry guy at the bar who's like, well, I don't think it's music and you need to, to this person, this person, this person. I'd rather have that conversation that, and that conversation be had with me than like someone who's, who's you know, just coming into the scene and maybe doesn't have a stick skin. Um, but, you know, it is, it's a really, it's a really interesting thing. And I think it's, it's one of those things that, again, I look at as a very kind of affectionate thing about our little scene that, that, that people do do that. Cause I just, yeah, you just have to laugh, don't you? The image of the angry fold up, folding of the chair is oh, it was so folk, wasn't me. it? Was... Can, yeah, exactly. It would only happen at a folk festival, but I think it's that thing of you know, art art doesn't always have to be easy. And you know, having watched you know a, a few videos of you live, um, unfortunately, look forward to you know a, a non-COVID time in the future where we might be able to actually watch you live. Um, but you know, I have a feeling that people leave your, your gigs actually feeling very uplifted, just the warmth that you're giving out, you know, in this conversation. Um, that that's the thing, isn't it? It, it? It's going back to what you were saying about being a whole person. Some of these songs might talk about very specific, very difficult topics, but you as a whole person are so much more than than just those songs and those moments. So um, yeah, thank you for sharing your reflections on um people who just just aren't woke enough to deal with it (laughs) yeah and I think that brings us in right to a question about inclusivity and what that means you know your um Twitter handle is just phenomenal as queer feminist I'm really sad that you got there before me actually I'm wondering (laughs) how I can pay you enough money to take it from you um, but, you know, you're clearly a woman who, you know, bucks those outdated and unhelpful stereotypes about what female folk music should be and what, you know, women can raise their voice about or talk about. 
what does it feel like beyond the angry men slamming their chairs up? What does it feel like to inhabit that space of, I guess, you know, bucking trends, doing things a little bit differently? I think it's a really, uh, it's sometimes an uncomfortable space. I think the folk scene is, is lovely until it's not sometimes. And I think that's quite difficult. It's funny, I, I had Twitter as a kind of like, and I think, um, Lucy, you've talked about this before, how you had your Facebook as your Facebook and then kind of became a like a your sort of connection to to, to music. Like yeah, yeah. The fans kind of thing. <laughs> um, and I had a very similar thing with my with my Twitter. Um, and I remember it was actually after the the folk awards, sitting in this like um little hotel room in Manchester and being absolutely like overwhelmed and so excited. And my partner being like, you should probably change your Twitter handle, you know, because that's going to be quite polarizing. And uh I, I was like, yeah, no, I definitely will. And I've I've been saying for ages, oh I'll, I'll change that. But you know, I think it it kind of inhabits something that's quite real. And the thing is um for me as as well is that I think as someone who's quite visibly queer and um you know I guess unapologetic about that um I think sometimes people have been taken aback by um you know when I've done like really trad sets I think sometimes the face doesn't match the idea that people have of of what a folk singer is and I think there's a lot of pressure um on female folk singers to be very like pretty to have pretty voices and sing pretty stories and that is absolutely not what I was ever about um and I think it's really interesting because I don't think and obviously I've not experienced being a man in the folk scene but I don't think there's the same pressure um on on male folk singers and male folk performers to have palatable sets um you know I've definitely gone to gigs um with male folk musicians who sing you know like 10 murder ballads and we love it you know we 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 clap at the end and it's great and and it's a really great night I think it's really interesting how when the space is inhabited from a survivor's voice opposed to an onlooker's voice how audience reception can change um and I, I don't really know why that is and I imagine there's a whole thesis there somewhere um but yeah I think it's it's just it, I don't know. I think the folk scene's really, really cool and, and really, really accepting. And, and it is difficult when you find those little pockets of it that maybe aren't like that. Um, but but that's the case in, I guess, any genre. I couldn't agree with you more, that notion of 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 palatable and what it means to, um, uh, you know, think about your set. And I, I, I'm sure um, I'm not alone as a female musician of having people comment on, oh, that's a lot of sad songs. That's a lot of angry songs. You spend a lot of time thinking about really, you know, heavy stuff, don't you? Aren't you ever happy? And I don't know that, you know, uh, male folk singers who also write political music or you know music that's kind of reflective of society around them are kind of held to that same thing I don't know maybe we should ask some maybe that's actually the next step for the podcast to explore that um and to see if there's any truth in it but I just I just feel like when I've been to those sets because I love those artists actually everybody's just fired up by their passion 
you know, because they're like, I don't know, a red blooded dude and the music's awesome and all that kind of stuff. And obviously, you know, uh, women aren't, uh, aren't kind of supposed to inhabit that, um, I don't know what space you'd call it. I was going to say a ragey space, but that isn't what it is. But you know that that um, that space where everything means something, and you know some artists, uh, you know, are, are beautiful and brilliant. And this is you know across all gender spectrums, and don't write songs that have these. Um, you know, uh, they don't write songs that have this kind of like deep meaning that an audience would potentially, you know, yay or nay to perhaps, you know, it is the songs of unrighted, unrequited love, like you said earlier, or, you know, it's just all a little more palatable in inverted commas. I think what you're saying is, is so valid. And I think one of the things that I've encountered is I think what, so when I, when I started singing and I started doing music, it was very much like, oh, I'm a singer songwriter. And I quite quickly in my very sort of little music scene in Bedfordshire, which is where I grew up, um, had this reputation of being like a political singer, which wasn't how I identified myself at all. And I realized, and, and I kind of took it on because like I loved Annie DeFranco and I was like, yeah, I'm a political singer. That's what I am. I look back now and I listen to the songs that I was writing when I was what, you know, 13, 14, and they weren't political. They were just the songs of being of being LGBT and 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 I think what's really tricky is is when you are in my experience when you're queer your identity is politicized for you so it's not just a, a love song it wasn't ever just me you know singing about you know fancying someone it was like this big political statement and I hope that that isn't the case now in 2021 but I think there is definitely something there about how when women or when queer people that it's almost by default seen as a, a big political statement and sometimes it is but sometimes I think it's just this interpretation that if someone's speaking about their experience and their experience isn't you know picket fences and 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 you know joy that that it's this big political statement and I think that's sometimes a good thing and I'm a massive believer in personal political it's kind of like the basis of, of the music that I write but I also think it's really interesting about the way people's identities and, and the way they just go through life can be politicized and how you can also then be criticized for that you know why is your music so political and it's like well I live as as a queer woman so my entire identity has to be political so that I can like go to the shops and buy you know cheesy whatsits or whatever it is do you know what I mean like it's it's just the reality of of existing in you know in a queer body or 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 in a space at all I guess yeah and I wonder if there's something within that about that being something about being a part of a minoritized group you know and I think the word minoritized is really important there because actually we know women make up more than half of the population right we're 51% of the population and men are 49 you know we we should have the power but we don't and so therefore you know when you speak from that experience or you speak from the LGBT experience it is something about speaking from that place of not being the status quo you know so one of the things I always talk about you know and find really annoying is the fact that you know I feel like I'm always coming out I'm never going to stop coming out we talk about it as a one-time thing but it's not it's a continual process but we don't have the same thing with um people that are heterosexual you know when we don't you know we always ask young people oh is that your girlfriend and your boyfriend but you know all of those assumed kind of norms still exist and take place and so I think 
you know you're right it is getting better and at the same time I sort of think until we get to a point actually where we just stop assuming people's sexuality is the default norm and until we stop assuming that somebody's gender is you know the same as their physical presentation in some way shape or form and that we can somehow inherently read what that is and what that should be then we kind of actually we're not quite there you know but at the same time you know you I guess you talked about um when we did the live I guess you know and even earlier in this you know those shifts of like when you were a young person you know googling you know queer or lesbian musicians and Annie DeFranco coming up and actually when I went to school a decade before you you know it was under section 28 and we weren't even allowed to talk about that so I was 16 17 before I even had the language to explain that my sexuality was in some way different and I guess that's where all of that personal political stuff also plays in right but how do we I don't know it's a big question probably can't answer it on a podcast but how do we get to a point where it doesn't it isn't a political act in many senses it is just mainstream no exactly exactly and I think it's it's such I mean you've put it so well there and it's such a, a big thing I think what's really difficult is is I think sometimes people in their eagerness to 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 prove how accepting and how wonderful they are and and you know like um I always find it really interesting where like I've found that in my experience uh when you have the conversations where people keep being like and and you're gay and that's fine that's so fine like it's so fine it's like not even an issue and I like promise it's like so cool like you can usually tell there's just something they're just a little bit uncomfortable with it um or or like uh, so I did a gig um a little while ago and uh and I went to a place and I'm going to keep this super vague um and I was talking to a guy um who was big in the sort of like local politics of that area and this place was in the south of England bearing in mind I live sort of in Leeds and um I was in the break and he goes but you've heard of like you've been here before haven't you um talking about the 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 location I was in and I was like no I haven't actually like it's been really nice to sort of to look around the area he's like no no you have you you've been here before you know you know where this is though you must have heard of of said name before and I was like no you know I I actually I haven't but I'm really really excited to be here and he goes but we have a pride event every year and I was like cool so do so do most places now like that's a you know like great but also like and and it was so well-meaning and but at the same time it was like wow like that's that's and it it wasn't even like a local place to me it'd be different if like you know I I remember it was very exciting when I grew up because there was Watford Pride which was like a really big deal um which Watford was like an hour from me but it was still really exciting and 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 maybe in that context I could understand that conversation but this was in like yeah absolutely insane but we I think there are definitely those those um interactions and what's really hard is I'm a I think I I I do genuinely believe people do the best they can 90% of the time um, and maybe that's overly optimistic but I, it's really hard to find the boundary between firstly saying it's kind of not great for you to say that because it assumes that you know queer people have a special little map so they know which which towns you know have have pride events every year um, but also to to validate the fact that for some people you know, particularly from some generations that actually them having those conversations with you is actually a really big deal. Um, and I think that's something that I've, I think particularly in focus is something I've been really 
grateful for is is having conversations with people and 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 actually knowing that this might be the the first time they've knowingly had a conversation about you know with a queer person about being gay or what that means um and I think it's just a a really it's a really in yeah it's just an interesting position to be in um but definitely what you know what you were saying about um section 2021 or was it 28 section 28 um and and the effects of that I mean um I, I can't imagine and and you know I worked uh, with zero to fives. I had worked with zero to fives for for quite some time, um, and being able to to read stories like um, there's a book called Jenny Has Two Mums and things like that um, is something that I'm I'm so aware of, um, especially when I talk about you know like the struggles of being queer. You know, I'm always very aware that actually my experience is is very very different, and I have so much privilege in that. Um, and you know where I, I've I've grown up and, and things like that you know um but yeah I think I've again I've gone on a bit of a tangent then but I get a bit excited talking about things like this it's okay it's okay um it's all really interesting and an important stuff for us to discuss and I mean I think over the course of these conversations you know inclusivity within folk music specifically has come up a lot and artists have varied opinions on whether um you know uh, they feel that the scene is as inclusive as it can be or that it's improving even um so I wondered if you sort of had any um reflections on that or things that you might you know and if you feel that the scene isn't as inclusive as it can be which is absolutely an opinion we've explored before so you won't be alone is there anything that you feel um not that it's your job to fix it by the way Maddie but what would you suggest um we could start with how how can we you know raise our game and better um just be more just be more welcoming to people from all walks of life and backgrounds I think um I think it's a big question and I think the first thing that I am very aware of is how white lineups often are and that's definitely something that needs to be really really looked at and thought about um because it's it's something that isn't really okay in 2021 to have all white lineups and uh it's just something that I think um promoters and venues but also you know artists we need to hold ourselves accountable so if we're playing on an all-white lineup it is our our I think our role as white people to say this shouldn't be an all-white lineup and that's not that's not okay um I think as well as that, something that I'm quite cautious of in the folk scene is I very often hear folks like a big family, we're a big family. And I, to, to me, that is immediately a red flag. And I was always taught by, I have very, very left-leaning parents, was always taught by my parents that if a company ever tells you like if you're working in it for anyone and they say, oh, we're not really a company, we're more like a family, that's got to be a red flag because in a, you know, and and I guess statistics back me up on this, families are often environments where awful, awful things happen and it gets accepted under the line of, but we're a family. So I'm very wary of the folk scene. And that is the only thing that I feel quite uncomfortable with is this, but we're such a big family and everyone loves each other because it, it creates an environment where it is much harder 
um, for people to come up and talk about abuse and talk about abuses of power. And I think this is something that obviously you've already addressed on the podcast, but I think that is that is one thing that I, I do feel needs to be thought about, particularly because of all the things that have come out recently. Um, and and because actually folk is wonderful in that pe- a lot of a lot of children get into folk very very young and it's wonderful and there's nothing cooler than seeing like a 10 year old playing a concertina and absolutely loving it I mean it's just one of the 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 coolest joys I think about folk music but we need to make sure that even if we are very close-knit scene that people are being held to account I think that's my my main my main um thing that I I do I do I invest a lot of 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 time thinking in uh, thinking about because it is yeah it is a bit of a red flag for me sometimes and that's really interesting notion because we've talked about it being problematic on the show before um but not to the extent of where you know just just the word alone you know so maybe we can think of ourselves more along the lines of words like community and just to reflect on what you said about um you know making sure that there are people of color on lineups it's it's um absolutely what you said it's the it's the job of the we've talked about it's the job of men on lineups to say i'm not coming unless you make it gender balanced and it's definitely the the job of white people on lineups to say you know you need to address this this issue of the whitewash that is this lineup and um and it's sad isn't it often because artists are are, are caught between this issue of I need a payday especially after Covid and I want to stand up for my fellow musician and so you know we need to make sure that there's there's openness to these suggestions or you know that these demands really that 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 people in power and people in majority have the have the ability to change most definitely so um I I think they were fantastic answers Maddie I think but both both absolutely are are things that we could just just start with right now why wait let's crack on (laughs) so I forgot to feel like just one more question but um yeah Pinky go for it yeah and I guess you know it's a linked question to that last one really you know but thinking about the issues with the industry and the good bits as well what advice would you give to other young folk musicians who are following in your path maybe a few years behind you um I think um (laughs) this is probably a weird way to put it but um just ignore the folk police we talked about the folk police a lot on my degree it was it was it probably came up once or twice in every lecture and we always talked about this idea of we had a very particular um guy in a high-vis jacket saying that's not folk enough that's not folk um and I think uh I think something that I wish I'd internalized more it took me a really long time to release any music I mean I've been doing folk for a really long time and it wasn't until I was just like, you know, I'll just do it. I'll just do it. What's the worst thing can happen? And I think that's because there's there's a lot of pressure. Um, but I think, yeah, my my main piece of advice, um, also to myself as well as other people, is just to to allow yourself to create the music that you love. And sometimes it will fall very very neatly into the niche of folk music. But there's always going to be that that guy at the bar who tells you that's not folk music, and you just kind of have to learn to be like, okay, cool, like that's great. Thanks for your input. Um, like. I think that that's that's a really big one. I think the other thing that um, another piece of advice, I guess, um, would be to apply 
for everything. I think I, it, I, I was really lucky and I got the Alan Serti um, grant when I was uh, 19, 20. Um, and uh, that was the first time that I'd really applied for things because I was so sure there was absolutely no point. Um, and I'm still shocked every time I apply for a gig and get it. And I think having forcing yourself to have the thick skin to get rejected from things and continuously applying for things is also something that I wish I'd done a lot more of because it feels awful when people say no but once you've had your first I think like about like 80 rejections it stops being so it stops feeling so bad it just becomes like a oh cool delete that email and then you move on and you apply for the next thing so I think that would be the other things to just like put yourself out there and uh kind of get used to rejection because I feel like it's a big part of being a musician um but it, it does get a lot easier fantastic advice because you know the folk police absolutely brilliant yeah the thing is I would like to say that they don't exist but I think that they do I think it's like a mafia type organization like an underground gathering of people that are just they somehow just know what folk is <laughs> but of course you know the rest of us know that it's this like tremendously wide even bigger than an umbrella it's like a tarpaulin that covers so many types of different music and I think you're right that reflection on um just kind of keep throwing yourself out there to opportunities it's about saying yes I think isn't it and you know not to the point where you're like work to the bone for no money and no benefit or put yourself in situations that you don't feel comfortable in but about you know taking a leap and saying as you say like can I come and sing a floor spot at your club with a view that you might consider me for a support or more um etc so I think they're both pra very practical bits of advice there for people thank you Maddie <laughs> yeah no absolutely and uh and yeah I think as well um this is my last thing but I think it's so cool that there is so much wonderful folk music that can be listened to and I think listening to people like yourself um who who kind of just create music that is so I don't know, important, I think. And and, and I, I just, yeah, it's been so wonderful getting to, to talk to you both because I'm very much in awe by both of you and what you both do. So thank you so much for having me. I was I was very, very nervous and very, very excited. Um, so it's been wonderful to get to sort of chat and to, and also to, to be listened to. I think it's a really validating thing to, to get asked to, to talk on this kind of platform. And I'm very excited to see my name next to all the very cool people that you've had on the little, on my little um, podcast and send screenshots to, to my granny. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm really excited about as well. But thank you both so much. Oh, please, please do send those screenshots to your granny. That's so lovely. <laughs> <laughs> no it's been great Maddie you know I'm sure our audience will agree you speak so passionately and eloquently about about pretty much everything and it's been a joy to chat to you and and just before you leave us two things that I wanted to reflect on it's very rare actually so far on the podcast that we have people talk about how much they love just going to a sing around and finding music mm -hmm. in that way and um, and I think it's quite trendy perhaps in the scene right now to sort of dag on folk clubs because you know obviously they're they're you know they're run by 
volunteers, not big organizations that might be kind of, you know, more aware of issues of inclusivity or uh, accessibility or any of that stuff. And so, of course, as we all know, or every, everybody that's ever been to a folk club knows they can, they can vary in what you can expect when you walk through the door and don't necessarily know what you're going to get. But I just think that's a, that's really wonderful to hear such a young and emerging artist to talk about the strength of that grassroots element of our scene and um, I think it'd be lovely to explore with you you know in a future time about about how we could uh, you know inject more goodness into those spaces with your passion for them and the last thing that I wanted to ask you is obviously COVID has put pay to so much stuff um, but is there anything that we need to keep an eye out and where you know uh, are you going to be touring can people come and watch you play? That's a really good question. So uh, there are some exciting things coming up. Um, I'm talking in a podcast with Miranda Pinachancia, who is a um, incredible uh, sexual violence activist. Um, and I'm really, really excited. And we talk a lot about some of the stuff we talked at the beginning of, of this podcast um, in a lot more depth from the, the looking at it from the activist side so I'm really really looking forward to that and that's something I'm, I'm looking forward to I've also just started recording a proper EP in a proper studio um, with the lovely Pete Ord and I'm really really excited to get some trad stuff recorded because I have absolutely no trad music that um, is actually out which is really weird because I never thought it would be that way around um, so I'm really really looking forward to that and when um, everything becomes normal again um, I have a few festivals booked, so I should be playing at Towersy and at Cropredy um, and at Hearty Pool or Hartle Pool, and I'm too dyspraxic to, dyslexic to know which one it is, um, and Kimpton. And I'm really, really excited for those. So fingers crossed people keep wearing masks and getting vaccinated and um, we, can, uh, we can hopefully do those folk festivals. Yeah. Oh, fingers crossed. And I reckon I might have to uh, drag Lucy on a trip M1 northbound up towards Leeds direction when you next get a uh, gig going in your fine city as well. So do keep us posted. Definitely. Oh, but thank you both so much. I've had so much fun. This has been the coolest conversation I think I've had in a really long time. So thank you both so much. Take care, Maddie. Thank you. Thank you. fabulous chat if you want to hear more maddie find her on social media and her band camp or head to our facebook and instagram feeds where you can take a look at the live chat we had with her a couple of weeks ago too you can also catch the august edition of the new friday feminist fix over on our facebook page this time where we will be chatting to the wonderful melissa james musician founder of sinker sane and creator of stronger on sundays conversations with compassion on racial and social justice in a music-filled space. Join us for half an hour at 6.30pm on the 20th of August. Now, as for next month's podcast, I'm actually due a tiny human just before TFFFFFF is due to come out. So um, so we're going to take a month's hiatus and we'll be back with you in October for more fun, fierce and uplifting chats. So till then, you guys take care. Thank Folk for Feminism is a Betty Beetroot production. <laughs>